0: So our passage this morning we'll be looking at will be Colossians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Here the scripture. Paul writing from a Roman prison to a church that he had not been face to face with, but had heard about from a man named Epaphras, the pastor of the church. He says, for for though I am absent in body, yet I am... With you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, and overflowing with thanksgiving, or abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I grew up, I love sports, I played sports, and I played in an area of the country that was not that athletically rich, so I could be on the teams. So I played basketball, it was one of my sports, and I had four different basketball coaches, really three different basketball coaches in my high school experience. But let me tell you about two of them. The man that coached me for my last two years was a wonderful, gracious, gentle, soft-spoken man who was all ACC at Wake Forest College at that time. And uh, but but when you would make a mistake, you thought uh, he would take you out of the game and send you to the end of the bench to sit next to the manager in the water cooler, and you'd look at your contemporary and say, what, what, "What did I do?" And they said, "I don't know." He never corrected it. It was always so. So when you have a coach that's ready to always jerk you out of the game, you play with a little bit of shyness. You're you're timid. You're you're not going for it. You're not diving where you might miss. Uh, the ball and then your man break free. So, so a Converse had an, another man who coached me, and he pulled me in his office about four games in the season because we weren't very good. And he said, Buster, I want, I want you to know that, that you're the guy I want to go to. You're my go-to guy. And I will never ever take you out of the game unless you do something that I've asked you not to do. So just let it go. Just, just play with abandon. And when you have a coach like that, you play with freedom and joy and you're just going for it. And it's just so much fun. See there is great comfort in true security. There's, there's great comfort in, in true security. I think of marriage. Marriage we believe is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. And it can only be broken, we're going to see in a, in a second, according to the Scripture, we believe by adultery or desertion where there's no reconciliation. And as you understand that, there's security in that. In Matthew chapter 19, the disciples were asking Christ some questions about marriage. And they said, well, what about leaving your wife? Because in the Old Testament, uh, you could leave your wife for any indecency. And any indecency was a broadly defined term. You could just say in the village square, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it was over. And Jesus says, you know, Moses gave you the certificate of divorce to slow down the process. Because he said the Father's will is that there's one man and one woman who are joined together. And then he says this, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And then the disciples came back with this response. These very, very uh, astute men who've walked with Jesus now and have heard his teachings and that they, they are our spiritual mentors. This is what these guys say, which show that they're really dull. Then the disciples said, well, if that's the case of a man and his wife, then maybe it's better to not even get married. He said, wow, this is a totally new teaching. But what he's, what he's saying is that, is that he's taking a marriage and saying this, there is security That is advantageous when you're married, and you're married in the Lord, and you walk with each other. I have uh, a couple I respect and love very much, and I was with them a few months ago, and the husband came downstairs, and he was disheveled and uh, kind of stumbling around, and his wife was making breakfast, and she looked up and she said this, she said, you are a mess and they laughed. And then she said under breath, not thinking I could hear her, but you are my mess. I thought, yeah, yeah. And, and really, in marriage, you say that sometimes in laughter, but sometimes through tears. <laughs> you know, you're my mess. But but there's security in that because you, you stand beside each other. There's also… An, marriage is a reflection of the love that Jesus has for His church. And, and so, For example, in Hebrews 13, it says this, verses 5 and 6. It says, uh, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You say, well, okay. The next verse kind of explains it. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In other words, what what breaks the the grip of wanting more and more in your life, where you're mesmerized with the God who never forsakes you and never leaves you and who loves you with an everlasting love, which is the the sunum bonum, the highest goodness of the soul. There There is great confidence and joy in security. The next two passages are passages that are loved and well-known and and affirmed throughout Christendom. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Listen. Well, what shall we say to these things, God's work in our life? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Therefore, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He says, You know, what can separate us from the love of God? So, Paul says, Well, who judges? Well, Christ is a judge, but Christ died for you. Christ rose from the grave for His church, and Christ is praying for His church. Confidence. There's great security and confidence. It's a, it's, a, it's a glorious thing. And then in John chapter 10, these words. Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Wow. Jesus says, first of all, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and as they follow me, the sign of our salvation, no one can ever snatch them from the Father's hand or from my hand the Father is greater than all. There, there's great security and confidence in understanding who we are. So we come to this passage this morning. This, I want you to understand this. Please hear this. Pa- Paul says, just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in Him. Then he says this, rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in the faith. A little technical. Rooted in the Greek text is in the perfect tense. And that means it's a past action that is completed. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It really makes you want to sing and dance. So, so rooted in Him, a past action that is completed and has ongoing effect. We are rooted in Christ. Here. Rooted. Conversely, built up in Him. establishing the faith are present tense. Very important. So, I am rooted in Christ. Nothing can touch the rootedness I have in Jesus. I'm loved with an everlasting love as a believer. I, I'm carried by the Holy Spirit. I will see the Lord face to face. I am rooted in Christ. It is, and security is a glorious And and that's why in this book, Paul's writing this small church in this monolithic city, surrounded by all types of heresies. And he says, church, rejoice. You're rooted in Christ. You're His. You belong to Him. Now now, now that you understand that you're rooted, be built up, be established, and overflow with thanksgiving. But but always make the reference point, I am rooted in Christ. Christ. Contemplate the greatness of Christ. Contemplate the fact that He loves us with an everlasting love. You know, there's, there's nothing that would bring sorrow to my soul more than thinking, well, maybe the Lord is going to change His mind about loving me. Maybe the Lord loves me today and won't love me tomorrow. Some people teach that. It's not biblical. The, The joy, part of the joy of our salvation is rooted in Him. And that's why in this book, Paul is saying, understand the glory of Christ. Here, here, here these verses. Verse 2 of chapter 1, you're in Christ. Verse 4, you have faith in Christ. Verse 14, Christ in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. Verse 16, chapter 1, by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Behold the greatness of Christ. Verse 27, chapter 1, the mystery that has now been revealed is Christ. In you the hope of glory. Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so, so Paul, in talking to this church, that's surrounded by these issues, says, behold the glory of Christ. There's a confession of faith called the Belgic Confession of Faith, written first in 1567. It has 31 articles. Let me just read this. This is so good. Uh, the question is, is, what do we believe about the incarnation of Jesus Christ? God became a man. There's two paragraphs. Let me read it. It's just, it's just I'm like, Wow we confess that god fulfilled the promise made to the early fathers by the mouth of the holy prophets when he sent the only and eternal son of god into the world at the time appointed the son took on the form of a slave he was made in human form truly assuming a real human nature with all of its weaknesses except for sin being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. And Christ not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul in order to be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, Christ had to assume them both to save them both together. Therefore, we confess that Christ shared the very flesh and blood of children, being the fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, descended from David according to the flesh, the fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, the seed of David, the root of Jesse, descended from the tribe of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, descended from Abraham, having assumed descent from Abraham and Sarah, and was made like his brothers and sisters, yet without sin. Now read that, said, behold the greatness of Christ. And so, when Paul's trying to energize this church, he says, behold the greatness of Christ, and you are rooted in Him. And that's exciting. There's a book called Pilgrim's Progress written by a guy named John Bunyan, who spent years in jail because he wouldn't quit preaching the gospel. Bunyan died about 1661, thereabouts, 1668. So it's it's a story, a metaphorical journal, allegorical journal about a, a man on a pilgrimage in his faith. And so Pilgrim is taken to a place called the House of the Interpreter. And so the House of the Interpreter shows him some scenes about what his faith will be like in the future, in the present. And he goes in this big room, and the room is, 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 has, has a wall down the middle, and they're standing on this side of the wall, and there's this big man taking copious amounts of water and throwing it on a fire. Boom. Boom. And yet the fire burned, brighter still. And Pilgrim says to his host, the interpreter, he says, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And the interpreter says, come around the wall. So he goes around the wall where he can see the, the man, but also on the other side of the wall, he sees a figure pouring oil on the fire. And the figure, he says, represents Jesus, who by the Holy Spirit continually builds and strengthens us. The man throwing water represents the devil. The devil seeks with all his might to throw water on the fire of your faith, but because of the keeping, gracious, caring Lord Christ, your faith will thrive. That's a great picture, that in the midst of all that we are, Jesus, by His Spirit, guards us. And so, listen, you are rooted in Christ, and that's what Paul says, I I celebrate, I rejoice to see, I rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So I'm rooted in Him. I'm His. If you've come to Him by faith and you've trusted Him and you've repented of your sins and, and you're trusting Christ today, you are rooted in Him. And as you're rooted, you remember and you press ahead. See, this is what Paul, Paul's trying to stir these people up. He says, remember, you're, you're rooted. Now, 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 be built up and be established, present tense. And as you do that, you'll overflow with thanksgiving. It's, it's such a beautiful passage. But as you remember, you were glad. This week I was remembering some things. This week it was the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Midway. It's incre- just it's an incredible story. I'll tell it to you real quick. The Battle of Midway was a naval battle in the Pacific theater six months after Pearl Harbor. Six months after the American fleet was basically decimated at Pearl Harbor. And the nation went into deep grief and shock. And six months later, there's an admiral in charge of the Pacific Theater named Chester Nimitz, whose grandfather came over from Germany, was a Texas Ranger, and he was raised in the middle of Texas, wanted to go to West Point, but there wasn't a slot available, so he went to Annapolis, and became a four-star admiral, Chester Nimitz, a wonderful man. And, and so there was this guy named Joe Roquefort who, who was really a character kind of out of step with everybody, but he was brilliant, brilliant mathematician. And he worked feverishly, and he thought he had broken the secret Japanese code of communication in the, their Navy. And he said, I really believe that they're heading toward Midway to make a run around us and attack, attack Hawaii again. And everybody said, they're not going to do that. We have no intel they're going to do that. And Nimitz struggled, and he finally said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with this guy named Joe Roquefort. And, and so he sent out two aircraft carriers. I said, oh yeah, just two. And there's a third called the USS Yorktown that was dry docked. And Nimitz goes down to where they're working on the Yorktown. And he says to the guy in charge, how long will it be before the Yorktown can go out with these other two aircraft carriers? And the guy said, oh, Admiral, it's going to be, it's going to be three months. And he says, you have three days. You have 72 hours. And he said, aye, aye, sir, and thousands of men descended on the Yorktown and made it quasi-battle-worthy. And so the Yorktown limped out and joined the two other aircraft carrier. The Japanese had four aircraft carrier, many more battleships, a much larger navy, but we had the element of surprise. And so they steamed around Midway, and they met in June of 1942. And in an incredible experience, all four Japanese aircraft carriers were either sunk or destroyed. And the Battle of Midway, we know now, was the turning point of the war in the Pacific. Because from that point forward, the Japanese could never fight in an offensive battle. They were just in a defensive posture. And that was the turning point of the war. And so I I was remembering this week about about our country and about the 460,000 men and women who died in World War II from our country. And it it compelled me to to be glad and then to think I want to guard the freedoms of this country. I want to be part of a solution that we embrace the greatness of what we've been called to. In the same way, when you understand your rootedness in Christ, church, that what Christ has done for you and and who He is, it it leads to worship and it leads to a desire to press ahead. I think of the the call of Ephesians chapter 4, where it says this in verse 11 and following. It says that, that He gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, so that they may be built up, the building up of the body of Christ, and, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to go to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, we will speak the truth in love and grow up into Christ. And so I I, I remember, I remember I'm rooted, I remember what Christ has done for me. I am worshipful, I'm glad, and I want to press ahead. Please understand this. The Christian faith from the Bible, the gospel, is the only religion in the world that believes our standing is based upon what someone else has done for us. And you hear that and you can say, well, yeah, no. no, hear that. Our standing before the triune God in the courtroom of heaven is based upon what Christ did for us on the cross. No other religion has that. For example, our Muslim friends are, this month, experiencing Ramadan. Ramadan is one of the main pillars of the Muslim faith. It's, it's a 30-day or so fast. And this is what they do. They, they eat in the morning, and then from sunrise to sunset, they're not supposed to drink or eat for 30 days. So I, I checked, checked it out. In, in northern Morocco today… The sun rises at 5.15 and sets at 7.45. So from 5.15, they'll get up and eat before 5.15. Then they'll, don't eat this, don't drink in the desert. That's pretty tough. Don't eat, and then they'll eat at 7.45. Eat a really lavish meal. And I thought, you know, if, if I was a Muslim, during Ramadan, I would move to southern Chile, way down there, where there's three hours of sunlight, you know. And I, you know, I can do that for three hours. I can go with that through. Sometimes I'm sitting with people and they'll say, I'll say, you know, uh, not to make fun of vegetarians, but I'll, I'll be ready to supper. And I've said, you know, I, I've, I've been a vegetarian, but I, I think I need to, to not be a vegetarian now. Oh, how long have you been a vegetarian? Since breakfast, you know, oh wow. So I mean, I can be a vegetarian for one meal, that type of thing. So I can fast for four. But that, that's a pretty amazing, but the reason they do Ramadan though, is to earn favor with Allah. That's it. And so at the end of their days, a Muslim says, hopefully my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and I may make it into heaven. It's all about me. Or or if you're a Hindu, there's a festival in Hinduism called Taipusam where you make a deal with a God and if it comes through, you go through this or you go through this to make a deal with a God. It can be retroactive or prospective in anyway, way. So, so you, you, you take fish hooks and you plunge it into your skin and you put it in your back and you have a, sometimes a, a rod through your jaw and you're drugged up and you dance and you twirl and they chant and you do it to earn the favor of a Hindu god. If you go to Thailand today or India in a Buddhistic era, area, of Japan, South Korea, um, China, and, and you, you'll see Uh, businessmen who've been very successful at the… when they think they're closing on the end of their life, they'll renounce everything and they'll go into a Buddhist monk order, and they'll go out every day in a saffron robe with a tin plate begging for rice to earn the favor of the God as they define Him, so that in the next migration they'll come back in a higher life form or or be absorbed in the universe. It's all about what they can do. I'm reading a fascinating book about the American West, and there was an American uh, chieftain from the Sioux Nation named Red Cloud. And here's a painting of Red Cloud. And Red Cloud was a warrior par excellence. But Red Cloud in the Sioux Nation, if you um, are born from a disreputable home, you have to go through all types of gymnastics and hurdles to be accepted by the tribe. And his dad was an alcoholic. And so Red Cloud's dad died when he was just a child, and he was always called Red Cloud, the son of blank, who was an alcoholic. And so Red Cloud, to prove his medal, had to go through all of these war parties and all these raids, and he was an incredible man, became the leader of the Sioux Nation. But in his his mid-20s, to show that he was deathly serious about everything, they had this ceremony where you would, as To earn the favor of the Great Spirit and to hear from the Great Spirit, uh, you would go through this several days of trance, and then at the end, you would uh, take huge ropes and hooks and plunge them into your chest and into your back. And you'd dance around for 24 hours a, a pole. And then at the end of that time, either you threw yourself back, which would pull the hooks from your chest and your back and leave your flesh dangling at the pole or your mentors will come back and forcefully pull you back. That's what they did. Red Cloud threw himself back and his flesh was just hanging there. I'm going, and he's doing, doing that to earn the favor of the great spirit and his contemporaries. I thought that, this Time after time after time is always either we're rooted in Christ or we're just trying harder. And that's why I love the little hymn that goes, my faith has found a resting place Not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. I trust the ever living God and I I run to him. Uh, That's just it. His wounds for me shall plead. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. His wounds for me shall plead. Listen. If you're a believer, you're rooted. You're rooted, you're there. And and out of joyful response, and you are to be built up present tense in in Christ and established in the faith as as we go forward. Now, here's a verse, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. I want you to see this, okay? But grow in the grace and knowledge, grace, knowledge, of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever, Amen. So I'm, I'm going over this passage. I'm saying, you know, Lord, how do we bring this? How do we how do we get this? You know, and here's my suggestion. Today, tomorrow, early this week, uh, pull out your Bible. And think, Lord, I, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge. So, so. Determine as you read Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self control. Right? Or 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, James 3, 17 and 18, that lists out Christian character graces. And you say, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, show me an area where I am lacking. And between now and i said christmas or now in the new year now in september whatever I, I i ask that you develop this quality in my life are you with me you know if, for some it might be patience for some it might be kindness for you know but, and, and so you do that and then the, the second part is growing the knowledge of christ uh, just, just don't walk by this passage and say, man, it's really cool. I need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. No, what, what are you, you going to do to grow in the knowledge of Christ? I've got some suggestions. You, you, you read through the Bible using the English Standard Version Bible reading plan, or, or you listen to the briefing by, by Al Mohler that I think is outstanding two or three times a week. It's a podcast. Or you uh, take World Magazine, uh, or, or you read a book or two between now and Christmas that's approved by… me or somebody that, that, you know, a lot of books are horrible, you know, a lot of them are good. But what I'm saying is don't stay where you are because the Bible says we are to progressively be built up in Christ and established, present tense, in the faith as we were taught. And and to do that, we've we've got to kick against the lethargy of the status quo. We've got to kick against the lethargy that says just float and be easy. There's a quote in the sermon guide from Augustine. I think I have it right here. I I just thought this was so good. This is just powerful. Nowhere else, for nowhere else is a mistake regarding knowing the character of God and the implications of Scripture more dangerous or the search more laborious or the discovery more advantageous. I want you to hear that. Uh, And no other discipline is is a mistake about the character of God in Scripture uh, more dangerous or the search more laborious. It's it's pressing into the kingdom, it's thinking well, it's thinking biblically, and is another thing more advantageous. Fills you with joy and hope and peace and purpose. So so do that, do the homework and share it with two or three friends have him pray for you. And then he says this. As you understand you're rooted, and as you present tense are built up and established in the faith, then you will overflow with thanksgiving, or you'll abound with thanksgiving. You'll be a, a thankful person. Uh, that's just who you are. A few verses on thanksgiving, which is th- throughout the Scripture. It says this. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. Or Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Or Ephesians chapter 5 Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving. We're to be thankful people. Now we, we laugh about, you know, we talk to people and say, well, you know, are they a glass halfway full or halfway empty type of person? You know? And I think, you know, if I really understand who I am in Christ and what He's done for me and what awaits for me in heaven, I'm a glass halfway full guy. And let me say this, if you're a glass halfway empty person, they'll say, you know, that, that's just who I am. I'm a, I'm a German. Germans are depressed. Or I'm from the Upstate. Yeah, you know, that's just that's just who I am. We're Upstate people are just kind of downcast. And you know, no, no, call it what it is. You know what it is? It's sin. It's sin. Say, Lord, forgive me for not being thankful. Forgive me for not being filled, overflowing with thanksgiving. See, I believe that Thanksgiving is, and I've, as I've observed this for years, is learned from the Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. It is practiced, and it becomes. Somewhat habitual. You're around people that are thankful. Hey, Amen, thanks. Not, not, not in a stupid, syrupy way, but a real, earnest, godly way. I mean, you're going, wow, that's encouraging to be around them. See, if I understand, if you, do you ever stop and say, Why has God been so good to me? Why has God let me be born in this country of incredible opportunity? Why, when I was dead in sin, why did God breathe life into me? I wasn't seeking God. Well, you say, well, I was really seeking God and I found him. No, he found you. He found you. Let's be honest. Why has God had mercy on me time after time after time after time? Behold the goodness of God. Be thankful. Rooted. Built up. present, Established. Overflowing with thanksgiving. There's so many people here that are just thankful people thankful people. So, I observe death days of some of my heroes. And uh, this week was the death date of William Carey, who died in 1834. He, William Carey is the father of modern-day missions, no education to speak of. He wanted to be an agricultural worker, but he had some issues with skin rashes when he was exposed to the sun too much, and so he became a cobbler and fixed shoes, and while he was fixing shoes, he met a young guy named Peter War, who told him about Christ and took him to church, and prayed for him and loved him, and William Carey became a believer, and William Carey felt called of God to take the gospel out, and so he left England in 1790. One. Yeah. 1791, uh, went to India, lived in a place called in the area of Calcutta. Calcutta is incredibly hot, incredibly humid, and a miserable place to live without air conditioning. Kerry was there for 41 years and never came home. He buried two wives in India. He buried a son in India and a grandchild. He also translated the Bible into seven Indian languages, multiple dialects. This this guy who did had no education. He was toasted in his home country and even in his lifetime was referred to as the father of modern day missions. He was giving numerous honorary doctorates by institutions in England and in America. Never came back to India. England. He was on his deathbed, and there's a man named Alexander Duff who's writing the biography of William. Carey. And William Carey is sick, and he's interviewing William Carey. And in the middle of the interview, William Carey said, young man, he said, can we quit talking about William Carey? Can we not talk about Jesus? Let's talk about the Savior. And then he died. And I've been to the grave marker over his grave in a ill-kept little cemetery in Sarampore, India, with weeds this high, and You have to go there and push back the weeds. And there is Carey's grave marker. And it says this. It says, William Carey, born, died, 1834. It could say the father of modern-day missions. It could say a brilliant linguist. It could say a ethno Linguist understanding who took the gospel to the unreached peoples of India. It could say honorary doctorates conferred by various academic institutions. It just says this A helpless, poor, and pitiful worm on thy kind arms I fall, Lord Jesus. It's a couplet from a hymn by a guy named Isaac Watts. And I thought, here, here, he could have had just. He could have had on his tombstone, the man. (laughs) But he doesn't. I would say that William Carey was a man who understood he was rooted in Jesus. And all of his life, he wanted to be built up and established in the faith. And he was overflowing with thanksgiving. Because he saw the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. uh, for this passage that is so instructive and it's so good and it's so filled with promise and hope. And I, I pray that this week we would understand that we are rooted, if we're believers, rooted in Jesus. I, I pray for people that have been in our services today that do not know Christ, they're 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 here and I'm so glad they're here. But I, I pray they would see the glory of Christ by the power that you bring Holy Spirit, and that you'd save them. You'd show them Christ, and they would be indeed rooted in Jesus. And I pray that we'd be built up and establish present tense, and that we would overflow with thanksgiving. Uh, and that as we do that, we would adorn the gospel and tell others about Christ in such a way that we point to the cross. Thank you that we stand as incredible place of debt as people who understand that we are brought into the presence of God by the work of another for us. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're not trying to earn your favor. You've done that for us, Christ. We're not trying to achieve a place of standing that's been done for us on the cross. So we, we are, we're just glad in that. So glad. So glad. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.